Welcome to the Cedar Fort Come Follow Me Made Easier podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cherry. This week, we're going to be studying Exodus 18 through 20 with Lori Denning. Lori is the author of the book, Real Heroes of the Old Testament, that's coming out in May. Now, speaking of wonderful books and products, we want to encourage you to take advantage of the gift that Cedar Fort is offering of a 20% off for anyone who is viewing or listening to our podcasts. If you go to cedarfort.com at checkout, if you use the code podcast20, you'll receive that 20% off on any item or purchase. We hope that you're enjoying our podcasts brought to you by six very unique and individual authors and that you feel comfortable in sharing that podcast with your friends. Tell your friends that they can find the podcast at YouTube, at uh, Apple Podcast and Spotify and many other sites. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks, Linda. Welcome back, everybody. We are headed in to some of the most amazing scriptures. We are in Exodus 18, 19, and 20. And all of the plagues, the Passover, and everything that's been happening with Moses and the Israelites has been leading up into these culminating chapters. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, Lori, I don't know that 18, 19, and 20 really jump out. I mean, maybe, right? But I want to show you how they really are fantastic. And maybe because they're just part of my favorite which I know I say because they're all kind of my favorites, but this really is great stuff. So what I want to show today is a little bit of overview and structure for each of the chapters. Then we'll get into some of the detail. Uh, next, we'll get into some of the interpretation of that detail. And then lastly, some applications. So we're going to do each of the three, 18, 19, and 20 of Exodus. And we're going to do content interpretation, um, a detail interpretation and application. Uh, now, I might kind of mix those up, but just so you know kind of where, where we're headed and jumping in, because this is some deep and powerful stuff. All right, you ready? Let's jump in. As I said, this is where a lot of the uh, book of Exodus is really leading. Now, before we jump into section 18 or chapter 18, it's important to remember kind of where we are in the books. Now, when you read the first part of of the Bible, namely the Torah or the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Pentateuch, get it. Um, they are really five, not five books, but they're almost like five chapters of the same book. They're actually called like the first part, the second part, third part. So we're in that second part and we're in the middle of it. Now, that's important because it's all part of the same story with some of the same themes and motifs. So all that stuff that we learned about in Genesis and Moses and Abraham are all going to still be important now, just as much as the first part of Exodus is going to be important because those same ideas of the creation, the fall and the redemption um, is all going to be super important and the same themes we're going to see. So you can't forget any of that. Now, we know that stuff, but I just want to kind of tickle your brain and say it's still there. Additionally, when you, so instead of just taking just the first five books, um, we also want to kind of zoom in a little bit to Exodus. Exodus has a, a pretty two-part structure, uh, also important because it's going to make a point here in a second. Uh, structure is my favorite. But when you look at the structure of Exodus, there are 40 chapters. Now, anciently, nobody wrote in chapters. They didn't write in chapters and verses. Instead, they told us parts of the story and kind of the themes moved along, beginning, middle, and end, different kind of poetry formats, so that you kind of went, oh, this is a different idea. And that's really true in Exodus. It's got these two halves. The first half really goes through about where we are today, about around chapter 18, and then it's going to pick up and do the second half, really somewhere around 21, 22 on through 40. So then you're like, well, Lori, that there were chapters in the middle, 18, 19, 20, 21. And that's where we are because these two halves, the first half, Exodus, Pharaoh, the crossing of the sea, the plagues, Moses's beginning, all of that in the first half is all part of one big story. And then the second half, we're going to get an instruction manual for how to build God's house. And the middle part, the part we're in, is where everything is leading up to today, the making of the covenant, 
coming into relationship with the Lord and being invited back into his presence. And so we're all leading up to this hinge point of the story right now. Exciting, right? All right. So that's kind of where we find ourselves. Now let's zoom in to chapter 18. Chapter 18 is a little bit unique because it's almost like an aside. So you know how when you watch a popular television show and uh, the characters, it's like they don't know you're there and then they look at the camera and they talk right at you. It's kind of like that's happening a little bit. It's almost like um, a bookend that's happening from chapter three to now. And that's the story of Jethro. So if you remember in about Exodus chapter three, that's when Moses kills the Egyptian. He looks this way (laughs) and he kills an Egyptian, hides him in the sand. He's found out. He realizes he's found out. He flees for his life. He goes to Midian. When he gets to Midian, he meets Jethro, who's going to become his father-in-law. And so, and then he is welcomed in. Uh, Moses is welcomed in. Um, remember he, he saves the daughters from uh, Jethro's daughters from these ruffians at the well, uh, very protector. Moses just always a deliverer. He's delivering all the time, right? He's saving people all the time. So he was saving, saving the uh, daughters. They come back to Jethro and say, you'll never guess what happened. This Egyptian saved us at the well. This is still Exodus three. Uh, and they're like, Jethro's like, well, you didn't bring him back. Oh, yeah. So they bring him back and it says he ate bread. So we meet Jethro. He welcomes Moses into his tent. He feeds him bread. And then they even uh, then he gets married. So he ends up marrying Zipporah, one of the daughters. Now we're in chapter 18 and almost the exact same thing happens. So this chapter three of Exodus and chapter 18 of Exodus are kind of bookends to try to teach us something that's happening. All that story was kind of a flashback or like that aside where we look in the camera. Hey, that remember that story? So that's kind of what's happening. So let's read um, what's going to happen with Jethro and Moses because we're like, oh, I remember that was about family. That was about marriage. That was about welcoming into hospitality, eating a meal. And we're going to find the same things, although the roles are going to be reversed. So in 18... And we'll just read the first paragraph of uh, Exodus 18. So that's verses one through six. It, when you look at your little verses, you probably know this, you see like a little backwards P in, right after the number. So in this case, it's right after verse seven. That's a paragraph symbol. So it's nice that it's broken up again in, in verses that was done in like the 13th century. But um, it, it's hard to read when it's like chunk, 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 chunk. So I'm going to read the first paragraph, um, one through seven, one through six, and then seven starts a new paragraph. So anytime you see that, it's kind of a nice way to break it up. Uh, someone said this seems to go together. So I'm going to read one through six in Exodus 18. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses's father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses's wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father he said, was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife with her two sons and with her two sons with her. Okay, so this is where we start to get that kind of bookends is that we're back meeting Jethro. Now, something kind of interesting, they have now come out of Egypt. It seems that Zipporah and her two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, were not with her, um, were not with them. Either they were there and sent later, but here they are. And so Jethro, the father-in-law, I think it says father-in-law like seven times, didn't it? And that we'll come back to that in a second. But they come back and he says, hey, I'm bringing these two uh, boys and your uh, wife to come back and uh, after all this that has happened with Pharaoh. And so they come back. Now, a couple of things that are interesting. Jethro is a priest. So we've, we've learned that before. Uh, We've also seen that Jethro, um, 
he well he names him priest once Jethro the priest of Midian in verse one he says that his father-in-law his father-in-law his father-in-law and I think because we're starting to understand that while the priesthood is important here the underscore the highlighter that we're getting is that this is going to be we're bringing a family together the family of God right the bride and the bridegroom this is going to be we're entering into a covenant with the Lord here at Sinai and so we're coming back so Jethro's coming back. Now, we do learn a couple more things. We also learn about his two sons. We're going to hear about Gershom a little bit later, not much, and you never hear of Eleazar again. Um, Gershom, uh, the name Gershom basically means like he's a, an alien and an immigrant, an alien in a strange land. So that's why he was named that. So it was uh, either Moses was foreign in the Egyptian land or perhaps in Midian, but uh, he's reminded that in when Moses was in Egypt, he didn't belong there. Just like we don't belong sometimes in the world, we're called out. And then his second son, Eleazar. Uh, Ezer, we've learned about already, means kind of your helper. El is God, so God is my helper. So you see, he says, for the God of my father was a help. They're telling you exactly what the name means. And he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So while we're remembering God is um, the Lord, saved Moses and his family from Pharaoh, he's also going to save us and that redemptive salvation is coming. So as we start 18, uh, chapter 18, we're starting to go, oh, this is this culminating chapter. The families are coming back together. All these things are starting to come together. And additionally, that idea of father-in-law, we're bringing families back together, including Zipporah. Now, just a note, you're not going to hear from Zipporah ever again uh, by name. Um, much after this, you're going to hear um, a little bit in numbers, but she's not named by name. Um, so, so yay, you know, here she is. Uh, so his sons and there they go. All right. Uh, so, so far, so good. We've had a little setting. We're coming back. Now, here's the next section. Um, I want to read just a couple of verses. Okay, so let's go on seven. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. Hey, how are you? How are you? How are you? And they came into the tent. We didn't say anything about a tent before, but he obviously, Moses already had a tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, here it is. Here's the big point. Pay attention. And Jethro said, verse 10, blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses's father-in-law took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses's father-in-law before God. Uh, so that's our second paragraph. So super interesting story, right? It's like Moses is like, I can hardly wait to tell you what's happened. We did learn Moses, uh, Jethro had heard, that's why he's coming, but he has to recount in detail the Passover, the plagues, all the miracles. And then he's like, wow. And then we hear Jethro's profession of faith, this testimony that he gives. And he says uh, an interesting thing. Now I know. Now I know that the Lord is over all of these other uh, said gods of Egypt, etc. So we see this testimony. I love this too in verse 10. Jethro says, blessed be the Lord. Like praise, right? Uh, just awesome. Like he's over everything. So we see how Jethro and kind of like us, as we listen into these stories, we're able to receive a testimony of God. And we say, now I know. Now I know. Now, something's interesting about the story of the Exodus, which we've just participated in by reading it, is that it is the most quoted story out of the Old Testament, even more than the creation or the Abraham story, uh, is the story of the Exodus. Even Nephi in the Book of Mormon says, hey, we're like them. So this story had a profound impact and created the, uh, a nation. They became not just Israelites, but a nation state because of this event. So, so this is a really profound event in uh, kind of our church history. So... 
So he's and so even Jethro, Jethro is realizing that again, that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Now they're in a tent. This might prefigure the tabernacle, uh, the tent of meeting that we're going to come up in the next few verses. It might not, but it is interesting that they point it out and they also have a sacrifice. And so what's interesting is Jethro the high priest, um, not an Israelite, a Midianite, which would be from Abraham's, uh, a part of Abraham's other family, and said, I took the burnt offering and sacrifice. And then they invite others as well, Aaron and the elders, and they come and they participate. Another interesting point besides just a burnt offering sacrifice is uh, they are also going to partake of bread. They are going to commune. They are going to eat. And so you'll see uh, often this ritual of, um, of, sitting at table, right, as of participating with bread is, is common. So you see it here as well. So they have kind of this religious ritual here, uh, prefiguring um, uh, the sacrifice of the Savior in verse 12. Okay, then we hit the second half of this chapter. I'll just breeze through this a little bit, but this is where Jethro's like, so we had that big culminating, we met the family, we have this great religious experience and this testimony, now I know. Now Jethro's like, well, what's going on here? And uh, Moses is like, well, I am like in charge of all these people and they're coming to me to find out God's uh, ruling on things. And so I'm just exhausted. And Jethro's like, well, that can't, this can't be, you can't be in charge of all of this. It's, that's impossible. So he gives them some advice and he says, um, you know, get organized and find some, um, some really reliable guys. Um, and, and it organizes them kind of in a military organization, you know, hundreds, tens, etc., And then have them be more junior judges and save those really critical cases for you. Let them uh, judge those instead. So he says, you're going to burn yourself out. So he does. So we see where the role of, remember, this isn't just social judicial judgments like you know we have a fight with my neighbor there might be some of those these are also things that you would come to say the prophet for so you would come to say i am trying to understand how to obey the different laws and covenants that i'm making we're going to make them in a minute um, but i i'm coming and we're learning to be on our own right for the first time we're learning to walk the covenant path and we don't always understand what i'm supposed to do so uh, there may be arguments and things with your neighbor, but it might also be, how do I interpret the law? How do I participate in these covenant events? What am I supposed to do when um, things happen and I, I don't know how to uh, participate in a certain ordinance or something like that? So so he's judging over all of those things. It's wearing Moses out. So Jethro gives them some advice. And so they set up this um, the structure. This is important because we're going to see that this is how the Lord continues to work today, that he is going to uh, kind of roll out these plans to everybody else. So that's the second half. So if you really want to check out some, uh, describes what the people should be like that are set as judges and then says, save yourself, Moses, for these big critical issues. So that's uh, some interesting information there. But there is a line in verse 15, Moses said unto his father-in-law, why are you, he says, why are you, Jethro's like, what are you doing all this? And he says, well, because the people come to, to me to inquire of God. Uh, that's why we kind of think, hey, this is, these are more important things than just, you know, uh, fights with your neighbor and border disputes. These are things we're asking um, of our Father in Heaven. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's chapter 18. So we've come to this um, point with Jethro. We've learned uh, the priest comes, uh, but also brings Moses's family. We've recounted the events and all the miracles and Jethro uh, testifies. Now I know uh, who God is, that the, the Jehovah is the Lord. And we also see them participate in a sacrifice and a meal. And then we learn about this judicial matters. That's also going to set the stage for chapter 19. Now, chapter 19 is... Um, Brilliant. Uh, chapter 19 has some of the most fascinating structure that we're going to see from the for the rest of the scripture. So let's start again with our content and structure and kind of overview really quickly. I love chapter 19. There is something fascinating going on here. Uh, let me set the stage. So we know we've come out of Egypt and we've landed at Sinai, uh, sometimes called Horeb, by the way. So Horeb means like really dry, if I remember right, like really like the dry part of the mountain. Um, and Sinai uh, doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it might mean Sinai, which is the name bush, a shrub, 
it's actually means shrub. So it's the mountain of the shrub, the burning bush that we met in, uh, in chapter two and three. So, uh, chapter three. So when you're like Mount Sinai, it's like the mountain, mountain of the Lord, but also Mount Sinai, the mountain of the burning shrub mountain of shrub mountain. So we're going there, by the way, if you go to the Holy land, uh, there are a number of places that are professed to be there. We don't actually know where this is. Um, so there you go. But, um, but everyone knew it was big enough that people knew how to find it like Jethro and Aaron when they're like, go to Sinai. So they knew in chapter three of uh, Exodus, the Lord in the burning bush tells Moses that he's like, I want to free the people, but I also want the, a sign is that you will bring them back and they will meet here with me, just like a meeting with you, Moses. So we're coming to that culmination. This was the whole point. The Lord wanted to bring the people out, redeem them from slavery and redeem them spiritually so they could meet back on the mountain, return to his presence, progression and coming back into that, um, the holy mountain of the Lord, the temple. So we're returning to Eden. We're going to the promised land. So that whole theme is here. So that's where we're kind of coming to that culmination. So we're at Mount Sinai. Now, interestingly, from here, chapter 18, 19 of Exodus, all the way through the rest of Exodus and all the way through the book of Leviticus and all the way to, through about chapter 10 of Numbers 10, verse 11, you're, they're going to be right here. They're camped in this very same space for a year. So this whole thing, so you're like, wow, we just chapter after chapter. So the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and the first 10 chapters of Numbers all happen at this very spot. So we are going to be here for a while. So understanding what's happening here is super critical. Okay. So that's the first thing I'm like, wow, it's this promise to come. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm calling them back to the mountain, Moses, to meet with them, just like I'm meeting with you. And then, uh, this is where we're going to learn how to do all that. So we're going to be here for a while again, about a year. So that's the, the next setting. So you're like, Hey, what happens for the next weeks and weeks and weeks? And, uh, come follow me. We're going to be camped at this mountain. All right. Uh, last, I want to show you something with the structure. So you've probably heard, we've talked about it, in fact, about how the ancient scriptures are called like the law and the prophets. So when you look at the first five books, they're often called the law. Jesus calls them that, right? Um, and then the prophets are all the books with the names, basically. Um, and then you have the writing, Psalms and Proverbs, etc. So you heard this term, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. The law is typically these, again, these first five books um, of, the, uh, New of the Old Testament. And when we think of law, though, <laughs> I don't know that we think of stories, right? So far, we've been reading the law, Genesis and Exodus, and it's all stories, right? But when you think of law, if you say, hey, we're going to read a bunch of law or law codes or law, what do you think of? I think of like rules, like law codes and regulations and do this and don't do that. But if we're calling all of this the law, there haven't been a lot of those traditional kinds of rules and regulations. And that's because of this structure is going to teach us something interesting. Indeed, the law isn't all about just a bunch of rules. It's still the spirit of the law. We're still trying to understand the motivation for why we do things. So now the Lord is bringing the people out of um, captivity and he's saying, I'm going to create a nation. I'm going to create a people. We're going to read that in a second. We're going to create this people and I want to teach you how to be. And I want to teach you how to come closer to me and be more like me and be a holy people. And so to do that, I'm going to show you something awesome. He says, I'm going to show you a story and then maybe some rules, the law, and then a story. So you're going to get this law is really a story. Something goes wrong. The Lord then says, okay, don't do it like that. Let me explain something. Here's some rules. Don't kill everybody. Don't steal stuff. Don't worship pagan idols. Oh, okay. And then the story continues. Well, blew it again. Let me give you some more law. So the structure of 19, this idea of narrative, it's like a, a law sandwich. So it's like narrative, law, narrative. So the bread is narrative meaning a story. So you're like story, story, story. So again, in Genesis is full of stories. There aren't a lot of regulations. Do this, don't do that. Not a lot of statutes. Uh, 
It's not law code. The law in scripture are instructions, but they're surrounded by application. And that is profound because it's teaching us how to be. It's teaching us that we need to discover what's important about these things, how to live our lives and how to apply them. And frankly, they're not that helpful in some cases because they're not super detailed. You have to follow the spirit to say, wait a minute, how am I supposed to make sense of that? You won't find every single regulation, say, on divorce in the Old Testament, just like you won't find it um, in the next Ten Commandments. It's just not going to give you that much detail. So you say, well, if it was a law, shouldn't it have all those rules? It's not. It's going to give you some guidelines. It's going to give you some do's and don'ts. And then it's going to show you a story because it's going to show you you have to have wisdom. You have to be led by the spirit to learn how to do them. You also have to find your own motivation. Why are you doing this? And that's part of the big underlying theme of chapter 19. Why do we do all this? Because it's God who's in charge. God that's calling us out and saying, I want to teach you how to be better. I want to teach you how to be my people. And so we say, I want to follow you. And that's where we land in chapter 19. So let's, um, let's read the first paragraph of 19. So that's kind of our background, a lot of background. And, um, I, right. How good is this though? This stuff is so great. All right. So 19, I'm going to read through verse six, uh, first paragraph in the third month. All right. I'm going to stop myself in the third month is like three months exactly to the day later. <laughs> Oh, okay. So they've been there for three months. Um, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth from the land of Egypt, the same day, three days, three months to the day, came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So we're not quite at the mountain. We're out outside, um, right, right near the mountain. And for they were departed out of Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and where Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Uh, so a lot going on. They People are camping out. Uh, they're just, they've, it's kind of like, oh, and remember where we were a minute ago, a Jethro story aside. So we're getting to the mountain, we get to this mountain where uh, Moses had had his theophany, his vision of the Lord. And then uh, Moses keeps going up and down the mountain. It's sometimes hard to find, figure out how many times he's gone up and down. Uh, it looks like three times right here, but he goes up, Lord calls him and says, this is what you're supposed to say to the house of Jacob uh, and tell the children of Israel. So we're immediately calling the Abrahamic covenant. We are the house of Israel, the house of Jacob. Remember who you were. The promises that the Lord made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, Sarah are the same promises that he's keeping now. So part of those promises are what he is fulfilling now. And then he reminds them that. So then uh, all the people, this is what you're supposed to say. So Moses comes and this is what we're going to hear. Um, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings. And I brought you unto myself. Oh, such a loving Lord. The Lord is like, I have brought you out. I've protected you. I have carried you along. It's just, you can just feel the compassion. Uh, the, the Lord is so compassionate. And, and, um, uh, I know we get some of these you know, like scary stories and stuff, but, uh, I think some of the scriptures in Exodus are absolutely the most beautiful. And here's one of them. You've seen what I did and I've brought you unto myself, I brought you here to meet me. And here are some of the key points. Therefore, ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. And so you have to do what I say, and I want you to make this covenant with you. And then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. So that's number one, uh, that we're going to be a peculiar treasure. You will be a kingdom of priests, number two, 
and a holy nation. Now, all three of those seem related, but they're slightly different. So the peculiar, uh, you're going to come and obey my voice. We don't know what the rules are yet. It's just whatever you tell me to do, Lord, I am going to do. When you say do it, I am coming to obey the Lord's voice in all things. That's what keeping the covenant is at this point. And then when you do that, you're going to be a peculiar treasure. You're going to be something unique that I've called out of the earth. And he says, because uh, unto me above all people, but for all people, right? Because all the earth is mine. So you're going to see this idea of something called out to serve back. And we see that again in the next one. You shall be a kingdom of priests and priestesses, right? This is a, a, a group that's called to serve. So this is where we start to get the idea of being a chosen people. Um, chosen kind of sounds like elitist, like I'm supposed to be special. And I know we all want to be special. I love the way, however, that John, by the way, says about being chosen. He's like, it's like being chosen to mow the lawn or bring in the harvest. We're chosen to serve. Thanks, John, by the way. I love that chosen to mow the lawn. But here he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Priests act as intermediaries between um, the Lord and the people. And so the priest is the one that's going to help serve and help um, be a servant to others. So when we're called to be a kingdom of priests, that's how the Lord is going to work with sharing the gospel, um, revealing the ordinances, administering his covenants to the world. So it's like you're going to be called up because everything's mine and I need to get you out there helping. And I also am going to say a priest, you're going to again serve me in a concentrated, consecrated, dedicated, separated way. But again, so you can go out and serve, you're chosen to serve. And then lastly, um, you're a holy nation. Holy meaning consecrated, dedicated, uh, separate, um, uh, sacred. So we are being separate and different from the world, but again, in order to serve. This reminds us again of the Abrahamic promise, uh, covenant that um, I will bless you so you can bless all nations. So you're called up so that you can help. Pretty cool, right? So here's the main covenant right here. I'm asking you to obey my voice and I'm going to do these three things. And these are the words that you're going to speak. So then verse seven, and Moses called, came and he called all the elders and he laid before all their faces, all the words, I just told them all this. And the people, this is it. They agree to do it. And the people answered together, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. So we're not even to the 10 commandments, everybody yet. We are just saying, I will command you and you will do what I say. And they say, we will do what the Lord will do. What a beautiful covenant. And here we are. Lord uh, Moses goes back up and he returns. Now, the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, uh, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And so Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So Moses keeps going up to the mountain and then back down and then up to the mountain and back down. And we see this, we've seen this before, the cloud, um, uh, the pillar of fire um, during the night and the cloud uh, that descends is kind of the glory of the Lord, the presence, right? They can't quite see, or aren't quite ready to see him um, like Moses did in the burning bush or on um, Mount Sinai where he saw him face to face. This is where the people aren't ready so they can just see the cloud, this glory, this manifestation. We're going to see the same cloud or manifestation. It has a name in Hebrew. It's never said here in the scriptures, uh, the Shekinah or Shekinah, um, which just means the presence or glory. And we're going to see it again, even in Kirtland, right? This cloud, this, um, this fire, this uh, brilliance, uh, the presence of the Lord is there. So we know that the Lord is in his temple. So you're going to see this cloud, um, this fire descend over and over again, uh, that we know that the Lord himself is there at the temple. You're going to see it here at the tabernacle. You're going to see when the Lord accepts his house, you're going to see it at Kirtland. Uh, you're going to see it at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, you're going to see it a lot. Uh, in fact, when they try to rebuild the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah, the cloud doesn't come. <laughs> so it's like, hey, we're still waiting. Um, so so this, this idea is going to come up over and over. If you check out hymn number six, Redeemer of Israel, um, it refers to this, um, right? Like my pillar by cloud by day and pillar by night. Um, 
that's what it's talking about is this exact thing, the presence of the Lord. So he's there. He's just so glorious. We're not quite ready to see him. So we can just see the presence, glory, light. Um, so there you go. So he's saying, hey, when I get here, the people will know that I'm up on the mountain and that's how they'll know. So the Lord isn't a cloud. The Lord's just present. And that's the uh, the presence that we can see. So then the people have to consecrate themselves and prepare themselves. And the Lord says, get all the people together and um, sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart, consecrate. So they're going to wash their clothes. So he tells them to wash their clothes. He's going to give them three days. He also tells them to abstain from relations and do a number of things to just not because those things are wrong, but just um, is to set themselves apart and prepare specially for this event. So they are going to go up on the mountain and meet the Lord. Remember the whole thing we've been waiting for, uh, right from chapter six, chapter three, chapter three, um, of Exodus is calling us back, uh, to this mountain. And so we're all, we're all the people now we're all prepared. Moses has been there. Now we're invited. And so they're going to consecrate themselves. Let's talk about a little application here. When we come to worship the Lord, whether that might just be in our own prayers or whether we return to uh, the church or a temple, uh, something like that. I think we see that there's a time when we consecrate and sanctify ourselves. We prepare ourselves mentally, spiritually, physically um, to prepare. And I love that idea. What kind of things do you do when you're preparing to worship the Lord? Whether that's just, again, praying at home or something like temple worship, uh, very sacred. What things do you do here? They wash their clothes. They are preparing for three days. They're pondering this event. They're getting ready as a people. This is a whole nation getting ready. We have conference, um, just, just having conference and then also have, um, all kinds of things, right? So we've just passed that. And how do you prepare? How do you prepare for those big days? I don't know that uh, washing our clothes is always the right thing to do. I think most of us wash our clothes, but I think there are things that we can do that help bring us closer to the Lord. And, and maybe now's a good time to think, what do you do? What do I do? One of the things I remember um, on my mission is we did a lot of praying on our knees and I even got calluses on my knees at that point. I don't have calluses on my knees anymore. Um, so I wonder if that's something I could do a little more of is actually kneeling in prayer at home. I wonder as well about just centering myself and uh, maybe singing a hymn before doing some things that will help prepare my mind to meet the Lord. So that's what they're doing. So he has them do that. All right. They also set this boundary of uh, we have this kind of concentric, concentric um, holiness, right? They're going to be at the bottom of the mountain, middle of the mountain, the top of the mountain. That's going to be very familiar to us with kind of three degrees. And you'll see them coming up and down. So they're going to remind everyone, well, don't get too close because you're not ready. You're not ready. So um, uh, we see this holiness happen. All right. So um, the Lord comes again, um, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And then when the voice of a trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and longer and Moses spake and God answered him by a voice, the Lord is there. So the people have been preparing, they're ready. And then the Lord descends and he meets on the mountain. There's fire, there's smoke, there's trumpeting, there's even earthquaking. They hear the voice, and then what's going to happen? Verse 20. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto to Moses, go back down, and charge the people, lest they break through the Lord to gaze on them, and many of them perish. They're not ready. And let the priests also, so have them come up and sanctify themselves. So again, make yourself holy, set yourselves apart, uh, lest the Lord break forth upon them. So make sure you make these boundaries of holiness. It doesn't threaten the Lord. It threatens them. You're not, you can't withstand his presence until we're ready. So they say they go down and then Moses goes and tells the people, okay, he's here. Are you ready? And what happens? And then he tells them, uh, the terms, the more terms of the covenant, and we reveal the 10 commandments. So we're in chapter 20. So we've taken a lot of time getting here. Chapter 20 is uh, what sometimes called the Decalogue. It's also called the 10 words because it's not really the 10 commandments, but it's the 10 words. So the Lord is going to go, uh, Moses is going to go up and he's going to receive these commandments for the people. This is kind of like 
the Constitution in the United States, where the Constitution isn't all the laws that we follow in the United States, but it's kind of like the foundational set of laws. And so for this Mosaic Covenant, for this covenant that they're going to follow, we're going to receive these um, these instructions. So we know the Lord, they go up, um, spoiler alert, they come down, it doesn't work out well. And then the, uh, Moses goes back up. And we know that Moses had the higher law at this point. But at this point, we're learning about some of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words or the Decalogue. Again, the Constitution, the basics. These are things that are going to set them apart as a nation. These are things they're going to learn. Now, here's one more really fascinating point about the kind of setting this up. Why is the Lord asking him to obey these rules? Why? What's the motivation he has? And he says it right in verse 2 of chapter 20. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He's telling us that we obey these laws, not because he just tells us to, which is fine. We already agreed to obey them. But he's saying, because you were in bondage, you were uh, a slave, and this are going to protect those in your society. So you're going to see this is a, a place that our motivation is. We set up these laws to help all the people to be fair and just, to give um, justice to all of those who may uh, be disadvantaged. So he's saying, you, you were an immigrant, you were a prisoner, you were a slave. So I am making sure that we don't do that to anybody else. So the reason you obey these laws isn't to oppress people, it's to make them unoppressed because you were not that long ago. So sometimes the motivation I think we have is that like, well, these are really harsh. Um, and they're really saying, no, our motivation is because we remember what it was like. And so we should remember and we should say, oh, so even though we aren't Israelites in ancient Egypt, we are Israelites today. And we say we remember the bondage that we've been in, whether it's sin or physical bondage. And that should motivate us to help keep these commandments. So he's saying, hey, if I'm going to make a nation, the priest, a peculiar people, a holy nation, these are the basics. So he's going to give us the top 10. Now you're going to find these 10 uh, multiple places. They're um, in Leviticus, they're in Numbers, they're in Deuteronomy. They're in slightly different uh, clumps, the way they clump together in scripture. But you're going to see these over and over again. You're also going to see them repeated in the Sermon on the Mount with some added insights. So we're going to see these over and over again. Again, it's kind of like the Constitution. Um, they're not all the laws, but they're the basis of the laws. If we said there are 10, depending on you count them, there might be 11, but let's call them 10. If there are 10, then um, we also see that the first four of them are about loving God. The remaining six are about loving our neighbor. So we remember the scriptures. There are two scriptures. What's the first command, great commandment? We love God. And then the second, uh, we love our neighbor. We find those actually in the Old Testament. And then um, the Savior repeats those. So What's the great commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. And we see that one, two, three, and four is loving God. Um, five, six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten is loving your neighbor. So we read them, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images or any likeness of anything that's above uh, in heaven or that is in the earth beneath, that's in the water or under the earth. These first two, we think, that's strange. Um, they definitely believe lots of gods uh, then, as we know. And so it's like, hey, don't forget. But I think it also reminds us that we're like, who do we worship? And where do we put our time and our hearts and our efforts? And are we putting it in the things of the world, graven images, uh, you know, just all kinds of hobbies and sports and, and uh, you know, work, different things? Are we focusing on the Lord? Um, the same thing, uh, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. This is in chapter or verse five, nor serve them for I, the Lord am a jealous God. Um, this scripture is great again about the love. Jealousy is a weird word. We don't use this word the way they used to use it when, um, King James was written, but jealous is more like covenant love. Like you have so much love in a marriage relationship that you, um, you're hurt if someone were to step out on you. And so the Lord's saying, I, I'm not jealous in a mean, vindictive way. I'm jealous in a passionate, loving, committed relationship with you. So don't worship other gods because I have covenant love for you. I am infinitely bound to you. And I, 
it hurts my heart when you leave. So I think he's saying not jealous, like I'm jealous. It's I'm jealous in covenant love and compassion. And then he says, even visiting iniquity on the fathers unto the children unto the third and fourth generation that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You're going to hear this third and fourth generations and showing mercy in the thousands uh, a number of times. You're going to see it again in Exodus 34 um, over and over again. I am bound to you in covenant love. And then, but I'm going to, uh, he's telling us, don't uh, this, this jealousy and this third and fourth generation that, that uh, two things probably being said here. I love you so much that I uh, don't, when you worship me, then you're not going to be um, iniquitous for, you know, grandchildren and great grandchildren. He's telling us don't do that because it hurts other generations. He's also telling us that even if we do those things, that he's not going to let it go on forever in our families, those sins rebound around that we inflict on ourselves. But like the next verse, I'm going to show mercy into thousands and tens of thousands. Like even when you guys kind of blow it and it reverberates through your families, I'm going to show mercy for thousands and tens of thousands of generations. I'm so much more merciful than what you do to yourselves. So it's not like, and I'm jealous and I'm going to punish all the way to your grandchildren. I think he's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to make sure it doesn't get too far. And I'm going to keep showing mercy, keep coming back. And I will be merciful, beautiful again, um, showing mercy into thousands and keep my commandments. Um, don't take the Lord that, um, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This is the ultimate parent and grandparent. Don't swear, um, like saying curse words. Obviously, we know that's not what this means. Um, remember, we didn't have legal codes like a notary and swearing um, like we did today, like they did then. So this is the closest thing, taking an oath of making something legally binding. So he's saying, don't use my name um, in vain. Don't promise that I'm going to do something I'm not going to do. Don't speak in my name, but also don't say oaths and, and do those things that, um, just on my name. Don't it's, it's saying vain means empty in this sense. So don't use my name emptily. Don't just throw it around and don't promise anything, um, that I'm going to do just to make yourself sound better. So, um, so it's kind of like, Hey, don't be swearing by me. Uh, when you're in trouble. So this isn't cursing. This is uh, making an oath. Sabbath day, keep it holy. We know that one. And six days thou shalt labor. So this whole story is really a reflection of the creation myth, right? We're coming back to Eden. And so we're remembering those uh, seven creative periods in the Sabbath cycle. So here we are at this holy time and we're going to come back to the slot. Um, in fact, make sure that you leave rest and uh, rela relaxation for not just you, but for those that serve you and visitors and everyone else. So you can't, that's why we don't go to the store. Some people don't um, go to the store because then you're making someone else work on the Sabbath. So you can't just send somebody in your place. Uh, you have to make sure everyone has a chance to rest. And so then he reminds us that's about the creation. And then honor thy father and thy mother so that your days will be long. This seems to be a reflection again of the Abrahamic covenant, right? Honor the the teachings of your mother and your father, Abraham and Sarah, and all of the patriarchs and matriarchs, so that we will be able to live, uh, multiply and replenish the earth. We'll get the blessings and the posterity, 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 uh, and the place. We'll get all of those things. So this seems to be a reflection, not just of obey them so they don't um, be, be nice to your parents, which is true. It's uh, remember the teachings of your fathers and mothers of the Abrahamic covenant. Don't kill anyone. The word here is actually murder. Just so you know, it's thou shalt not murder. Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie about your neighbor, false witness. Don't covet and stuff. And so you're like, okay, those are those, those make sense. Don't do all those things. That's how we make a society. And then we come to verse 18. And then all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise and the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people saw it and they removed and they stood afar off. They just backed up. They were like, no way. Too scary. Too much. It was loud. It was scary. It was powerful. Now you would think after like the sea and the chariots and the Passover, but the power of God is so much that they're like, we're not ready. So they back up. Okay. So then they tell Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but not, not, don't let God speak to us lest we die. 
And he said, that's okay. Fear not. God's here to come to prove you. The word here is test you. He's coming to test you. Just the same exact word that we used with Abraham and Isaac, the binding of Isaac. Uh, Abraham was here to be tested of the Lord. It's how that chapter starts out. Uh, Genesis 20, verse 1. And then we have here, he's coming to prove you. You guys don't fear, fear not. This is the test. Will you do what's necessary to come and meet with God? Will you return to his presence? Will you come to the temple? Will you come back to the celestial kingdom? Eden, promised land, Zion, Jerusalem. Will you come back? And he said, and then he's coming to prove you, test you, and that his fear may be before your faces and you sin not. That your, your, uh, the emotion that you have in God's presence, fear. And the people were like, no. <laughs> can't do it. So uh, Moses goes back and he says, they won't, they're not ready. Um, I've talked to you and um, they can't, they can't do it. Um, so he says, they'll, we'll have to do these sacrifices. So this is where we see that people weren't ready. One more note before we end. I think it's easy to look at the Israelites and say, those silly Israelites, we're so glad we're not like them. But I think their story is our story. I think the lesson is one for us. Are we ready? Are we ready to pass the test? Remember, the Lord is merciful unto thousands. So when we're not ready, he's okay with that. But he is asking us to obey his voice and come and be with him. He's inviting us into his presence. He's inviting us into communion with him once again. And we can be like Jethro and say, now I know. And so the Lord is inviting all of us. So sometimes we're not ready, but when we are, he is there waiting for us. And he's saying, here are the things I want you to do to be consecrated, holy, peculiar nation, a kingdom of priests and priestesses. I want you to come back on the mountain and meet with me and be my people and be with me so I can send you back and out to the world where you can bless all the world for the earth is mine. Brothers and sisters, we have come to the culmination where the Lord is inviting us in Exodus, this culminating point in the book, to say, welcome to the temple. Come and be with me and be my people. And that's the invitation he has for all of us. And I pray that we are ready and we will know that he is the Lord. And that's my testimony in Jesus name. Amen. All right, everybody, leave your questions down below or comments. There's so much to go through. Hopefully that's plenty to give you a start, but leave your questions down below and anything. And, uh, and again, keep on reading, keep on studying. The people behind the stories in the old Testament were not always the heroes we now see them to be. They were real people with real struggles. They were sinners, failures, and doubters. But they were also conduits for miracles and wonders. The heroes are the people who failed, struggled, and were imperfect, and yet had the strength to return to God. Wrapping together history, language, culture, and motifs, author Lori Denning brings light and deeper interpretation to the Old Testament stories we already know so well. With these powerful examinations of Abraham, Miriam, Gideon, Ruth, and more, you will come to know the real men and women behind the pages their mistakes, their failings, and their triumphs. Recognize the Lord in every story as He works to make these imperfect people better. Understand that we can also succeed in Christ, no matter our present doubts or imperfections. Just like the men and women whose stories are recorded in Scripture, we, too, can become instruments in the Lord's hand and be heroes of our own lives. All it takes is putting our trust and our faith in God.